What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss In the Land of Saints and Sinners. Having left his dark past behind, retired hitman Finbar Murphy, played by Neeson, leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors. In the Land of Saints and Sinners, from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. Watch it now on digital. Rated R. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hello and welcome back to Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. I am your host, Movie Mike, and today I want to talk about the top 10 summer blockbusters of the 2010s. I have my wife, Kelsey, here. How are you? I'm great. We both love summer blockbuster movies. We're right in the middle of summer blockbuster season, so I felt like this was the perfect time to do this topic. In the movie review, we'll talk about the new Jurassic Park movie. And in the trailer park, we finally got the first look at The Rock as Black Adam. So a lot of good movies coming out this summer. A lot of good movies coming out for the rest of the year. I'm excited. Are you excited? I'm excited. Why am I so excited? Well, all right. (laughs) Shout out to the Monday Morning Movie Crew for listening. Thanks for being subscribed to the podcast. You guys already know what this is. Let's talk movies. In a world where everyone and their mother has a podcast. One man stands to infiltrate the ears of listeners like never before in a movie podcast. A man with so much movie knowledge, he's basically like a walking IMDb with glasses. From the Nashville Podcast Network, this is Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. So I've been going off on summer blockbuster season for a while now on the podcast. We've got now two big summer blockbuster movies and... A little history lesson, the first ever summer blockbuster was in 1975. You know what it was. A Steven Spielberg movie about a big creature wreaking havoc on a beach. You know that movie? Jaws? Jaws. That is credited as the first one. Other people credit Star Wars in 1977 as also being one of the first big ones. But now we every summer we just come to expect big summer blockbuster movies and not only Are they movies making a bunch of money during the summer? But oftentimes, they are the number one movie out of the entire year. So what we'll be doing on this episode, this new summer series, is this week we'll be looking at the top highest grossing movies of the 2010s. And if you listening to this enjoy this series, we'll go back and do the 2000s. And then if you really enjoy the series, we'll do the 90s. 
And as far back as we could go, it would be the 80s, because if it started in the mid 70s, that's all we really have to go. And for the purpose of this list, we are going to define the summer blockbuster season as kicking off on the first weekend of May and then wrapping up on the first weekend of September. Starting it off first now with the year 2010, I'm going to give you three movies. All you have to do is name which one you think made the most at the box office. All right. Got it. 2010, first movie is Toy Story 3, second movie is Iron Man 2, and third movie is Twilight Eclipse. Which one do you think made the most at the box office? Iron Man 2. It is not Iron Man 2. That comes in at number two with $312 million. Below that is Twilight with $300 million. At number one in 2010 was Toy Story 3, making $400 and $80 million adjusted for inflation, that is. Good so grief. I remember how big Toy Story 3 was, and I think it was a combination of the original one coming out in the 90s. So everybody that was a kid either had kids of their own now or they were just at that point in their life where they wanted to go back and relive their childhood. So you had the people who loved it way back in the day, and then, of course, everybody taking their kids. And you can never really rule out a kid's movie at the box office, which I think as we go through this entire list, we're going to see a lot of superhero movies, big action movies, kids' movies just dominate, and then the occasional comedy will make the list. But Toy Story 3, I think out of these three movies, if I can only keep one, that would be the one. I feel like you kind of just gave away some answers. You told me kids' movies and superheroes do well. How am I supposed to guess? Well, they're all going to be in there. Just looking at the different types of movies, that's what we're going to see. You'll still have to pick which one. Okay. Which one would you keep if you can only pick one of those to watch for the rest of your life? I mean, I- Neither of them? You can pick none. No, I'm deciding between Iron Man and Toy Story. Iron Man 2 wasn't the best one. But I think it was because it was coming off of Iron Man, which was so good. Iron Man 2 was pretty forgettable. I guess Toy Story, because someday when we have kids, like we can watch Toy Story with them. All four of them? All four? No, no. All four of the Toy Story movies, not oh, all four of the my kids. Gosh. <laughs> no. I wish everyone could have just seen my face. <laughs> no, all four Toy Story movies, not all four children. All right, let's move on to 2011. I'll give you the three movies. You tell me the <laughs> highest grossing one. Was it? Transformers Dark of the Moon? Was it Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2? Or was it Hangover Part 2? For sure not Hangover Part 2. Okay. For sure not. It is Harry Potter. At number one was Harry Potter, which made $432.6 million, almost half a billion. At number two, Dark Side of the Moon made $381 million. And then at number three, The Hangover Part 2 made $254 million, which is a lot of money for a comedy. For a comedy sequel. Yeah. I think Sequels that's, that shouldn't have even been made. I agree. Well, Hangover 2 is basically the exact same thing as The Hangover. Hangover was a little bit more of a unexpected success. It was just so big and everybody loved it when it came out that the demand was so high to make a sequel. So I think those numbers are just reflective on everybody loving the first one and wanting to go see the second one regardless. They sold out and just wanted money. I mean, look at Kristen <laughs> Wiig. She refuses to ride a Bridesmaids too. Yeah, but I don't think they sold out. I think they bought in. They made so much money off of that trilogy. But yes, a trilogy that probably didn't deserve to be made. But I still enjoy every single Hangover movie. I don't think they're all... I think the first one is the best one. The first one. one is epic. And it, you know, nothing else can really touch that one. But every one that came after that two and three i still enjoy i think it's because 
of the characters. It's still entertaining. Would I recommend them to anybody if you haven't seen them? Not two or three. Okay, Watch one. But I just think as a trilogy, it's a it's weak. It's very just hangover one. Do it <laughs> two more times. Make your money. Yeah. Transformers, those movies dominated so much of the box office when they came out. Were these still the ones with Shia LaBeouf and Megan Fox? Yes. Dark of the Moon still had Megan Fox and Shia LaBeouf. And these movies were so popular, but now kind of forgotten about. I think it's because later they stopped being good and you throw Mark Wahlberg in there and people stopped caring. Amazing how popular they were at the height of everybody's interest. But now I don't really go back and want to watch a Transformers movie. And then Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows part two, that's the final one. Like, obviously it's going to dominate the box office. Wait, the final one came out in 2011? Yes. I'm old. <laughs> when we were looking at this list, first we were going to go back 20 years, and you were like, that's 2002. Yeah, it's I had weird. like an epiphany that 20 years ago was 2002, and I feel old. Let's move on now to 2012. I'll give you the three movies. A great summer. I graduated high school. 2012. Do you think it was The Dark Knight Rises, The Amazing Spider-Man, or The Avengers? Dark Knight Rises. The answer is at number one, making $692 million domestically, Good the grief. Avengers. And then coming in right below that at $448 million was The Dark Knight Rises. And then at number three was The Amazing Spider-Man, $262 million. Looking at 2012, I feel like this is pretty representative of what has been successful at the box office for a very long time. You have three superhero movies in the top three summer blockbuster movies. One basically being a compilation album of all the best superheroes and the first time we've ever seen a movie like that. Dark Knight Rises being a follow up to one of the, I would say, the greatest comic book movie ever made. And then The Amazing Spider-Man, which wasn't as well received by critics, but I felt like diehard Spider-Man fans like myself still enjoyed it, but still made $262 million. That's still a lot of money. So kind of proving that even if you make a movie that everybody doesn't love, you'll still go out to see it because it is Spider-Man. Of those three, I think the one I go back to the most is probably Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, that's like one of your favorite movies. And Right? Or is yeah, it Dark Knight? Dark Knight is my all-time favorite, but I feel like Dark Knight Rises is right up there as well. I was getting them confused. I forgot that there's just <laughs> a Dark Knight and then a Dark Knight Rises. And I remember seeing that one in theaters for the first time and thinking that Bane was such a more ferocious villain than joker was i felt like joker was so unique based on the way that heath ledger played him and everything surrounding him but as far as the movie going experience like i had such a i want bane to fail so much in dark knight rises and it kind of got something a little bit out of me more than i did when i watched the dark knight for the first time going back now and re-watching both of them i still think that dark knight Heath Ledger's performance can't be touched. So that is 2012. Moving on now to 2013. Which one do you think made the most? Iron Man 3, Despicable Me 2, or Man of Steel? Despicable Me 2. That would be incorrect. At number one, it's Iron Man 3 making $440 million at the box office that summer. Despicable Me came in two, $376 million. And then at number three would be Man of Steel with $291 million. Boo. Yeah, I didn't love Man of Steel when it first came out. I found myself re-watching it now and being a little bit more in the Superman character. But now that Henry Cavill is not even going to play him anymore, it's kind of weird to go back and enjoy that now. 
And I know so many people love that Man of Steel movie, but I just failed to get into that hype. I'm a little bit more into the DC hype right now, and I find myself liking a lot more of the animated stuff, which you have seen me get into recently. I just find it a little bit more entertaining. I find the stories better in the animated stuff. But as far as the on-screen newer Batman and Superman stuff, they have not been my favorite. Despicable Me 2, however, I love that movie. I love Despicable Me. There's something about Minions that just makes me happy. They're and I, great. I think it makes everybody happy. And then Iron Man 3 was probably the biggest letdown for me because Iron Man was so popular in 2013. He was basically carrying the Avengers. Iron Man 3 just left a lot to be desired. I feel like Iron Man 3 is probably one of the weakest Marvel movies altogether. So it's kind of weird of Iron Man being so high up there and then 2 and 3 kind of being in my lower tier of Marvel movies. But as Iron Man, (laughs) moving on now to 2014, you have, is it Guardians of the Galaxy? Is it Maleficent? Or is it Transformers Age of Extinction? Guardians of the Galaxy, hands down. That is correct. Not only the number one highest grossing movie of the summer, but also the highest grossing movie of the entire year, making $371 million at the box office. Transformers Age of Extinction made $245 million, and Maleficent made $241 million. Never really got into the live action Disney Maleficent, all those kind of movies. I've still never seen it. I always just see the trailers and they look so boring to me. I I don't really like period pieces and I don't really like old Disney movies placed in like weird fairy tale times. I just had no desire to see it. And then you have Transformers. Man, I was checked out of it by then. And then Guardians of the Galaxy, one of the top tier Marvel movies. Unexpectedly funny. Yes. Witty. Yes. And especially at a time where all the other solo movies were just so serious, serious. It was fun and refreshing. And I think that's kind of what made me love James Gunn. And he did such a great job in those. And I can't wait to see what he's going to do with volume three. I didn't think I would love it going into it. I was like a green girl, like tree stump named Groot (laughs) and a raccoon. Like that's stupid. And now I love those movies. I feel like a lot of people had that similar feeling going into it of, you know, Bradley Cooper playing a raccoon. But there's so much that goes into that character. Vin Diesel saying one word and getting paid millions to do that. I am Groot. Moving on now to 2015. Do you think the highest grossing movie was Avengers Age of Ultron, Inside Out or Jurassic World? Avengers. Avengers Age of Ultron came in at number two. $459 $459 million, and right above it is Jurassic World, making $712 million at the box office. At number three was Inside Out with $356 million. $712? That's even more than Avengers made. That's a lot of money. Yeah, and I find it pretty surprising how much the Jurassic World and the original Jurassic Park movies make. I think what they have going for them is kind of what we saw some other parts of this list of you have the people who are just fans of Jurassic Park. It's a big franchise. Nostalgia. Yeah, it's a continuation of that. So there's a lot more people already invested in it and going to go see it, kind of like we saw with Top Gun Now. Everybody who loved that movie in the 80s went back in flocks to see it now. So I think it's also one of the most perfect types of summer blockbuster movies. Big dinosaurs 
on the screen, running around chasing humans. You don't really need to understand a whole lot. Like that's all you need. And I think for me, that's what I kind of go to the movies in the summer looking for. I want to turn my brain off. I don't want to think about the problems of the outside world. I want to see something completely out there and not think about it for two hours. So I think that's why those Jurassic Park movies do so well. And later in the movie review, we'll see if it holds up to expectations this time around. Moving on to 2016, do you think it was Finding Dory, Captain America Civil War, or The Secret Life of Pets? I'm going to go Captain America Civil War. That came in at number two, making $408 million. At number one, making $506 million was Finding Dory. Yeah, I guess I should have known that. Kids movies. You can't. But Count I guessed the kids, the kids movie the last time and it was wrong. So I give up on this game. But it's a follow-up to Finding Nemo, which came out in 2003. You kind of have the same thing going here 13 years later. that long ago? Yeah, 2003. Okay, this podcast is making me feel like I need to go like put on my wrinkle cream. Out of those three, most surprising is The Secret Life of Pets at number three with $368 million. That is shocking. Because it is a new movie. And I guess it's maybe the pet angle. It's from DreamWorks, who is hit or miss on their animated movies. I did go see that movie in theaters, mainly because <laughs> Louis C.K. was a voice in it and Kevin Hart. So it had that aspect of comedians doing voices in that. Okay, so it still had grown men going to see it. So we still had a factor there, yeah. <laughs> Moving on now to 2017. Do you think it was Spider-Man Homecoming, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, or Wonder Woman? All three superhero movies. Which one do you think made the most? Spider-Man 2 Homecoming was second Andrew Garfield one? It's, this is the first Tom Holland one. That's right. That's right. Okay. And then Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Which one made the most in 2017? I'm going to go Guardians of the Galaxy 2. That one came in at number two, okay. $389 million. Below that was Spider-Man Homecoming with $334 million. At number one, with $415 million, was Wonder Woman. And this was the first big win for DC. This movie put Gal Gadot on the map, put director Patty Jenkins front and center. And I think it kind of gave everybody, uh, I guess, younger girls who haven't had a movie to look at a character and be like, hey, that's me. Like, that could be me. I think this was that first glimpse at that. And I loved it so much because after Batman versus Superman, which was such a bad movie, she was the only kind of glimmering hope uh, to come from that. Like, oh, Wonder Woman is actually awesome. So I loved Wonder Woman and was kind of taken back at how much people didn't like Wonder Woman 1984 and how that movie was one of the ones that came out streaming and in theaters, but at a time where theaters weren't really happening anymore. So they lost a lot of money on that movie. So it's kind of a big drastic fall to go from having the number one movie of the summer to having one that people now regard as one of the worst superhero movies of all time. So that kind of sucks, but yeah, guardians of the galaxy two was another great addition. And then Spider-Man homecoming was awesome because I felt like they finally got Peter Parker right. And I remember having that emotion coming out of that, like, he's back. I guess after the Andrew Garfield movies, a lot of people were checked out of people making Spider-Man movies. I still like Andrew Garfield. I do too. I like him more now than I did when he was doing those movies. Like going back now, seeing him in that role, it kind of makes me a little bit like I should have given him more credit back then. 
But I'm sure he doesn't sleep at night because he yeah, knows that you, Mike D. He does Movie know Mike that. didn't give him credit. He knows. All right, moving on now to 2018. Which one do you think made the most? Was it Incredibles 2, Deadpool 2, or Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom? Okay, see, here we've got Jurassic World, mm-hmm. which is a nostalgia, but we also have Incredibles 2. I'm going to go Incredibles 2 because everyone was excited for that to come out. Well, at number three would be Deadpool 2, 318 million. And then at number two, making four hundred and seventeen million, was Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. So you were correct. Yes. Number one was Incredibles two, making six hundred and eight million dollars at the box office, according to Box Office Mojo. And that is, yeah, that's the nostalgia factor, and also a sequel that people were asking for forever. I love the Incredibles, and Pixar rarely does sequels. Took forever for Finding Dory. Took forever for The Incredibles two. So when they do make a sequel, they know that people are going to want a story that lives up to the original and they're going to spend time to get that right, spend time to make the animation worthy of having an updated version. And then also know whenever they put it out, it's just going to dominate. So that's a pretty big win for Pixar having the biggest movie of the summer going against Jurassic World making also half a billion dollars. And we've made it to the final year on the list. 2019, which movie made the most? Was it The Lion King, the live action version, Toy Story 4, or Spider-Man Far From Home? Which one made the most in 2019? Spider-Man. Spider-Man came in at number three. Far From Home made $390 million. Toy Story 4 made $434 million. And at number one, you don't roll out Disney, Making $543 million was The Lion King. (laughs) You have a face of disgust. I just don't think that should have been number one. Yeah, I feel like that was a very forgettable live action Disney movie. But I think The Lion King is arguably so many people's favorite Disney movie of all time. And there was so much hype around this from the soundtrack, from everybody who they cast to voice it. And also, it was a relatively... I mean, it wasn't a brand new concept, but I remember a lot of people wondering what does a live action Lion King movie even mean? Like, are they going to get real animals and mic them up? But it was basically just I think I would have paid more to see that. (laughs) I would have paid more to see that. I mean, can a zoo do that? Just like mic up the animals. I'm sure there's like YouTube videos like that where people will just record animals and overdub. That probably would have been a little (laughs) bit more entertaining because the weird thing about it is they made the exact same movie, didn't really change a whole lot about it. But it was just like they gave it an HD feel. So what it lost for me was the charm of the original. It didn't have a warmth to it. It didn't really have a connection to the characters. You just had like these animated, realistic looking animals acting out basically a big, dramatic I think something like that where like you have people like voicing the Lion King does better on Broadway. Mm, yeah like it, the lion king on broadway i've heard is phenomenal i would like to see that someday so i feel like couldn't we have like cast those people and done it like broadway a little more theatrical you say yes and number two with toy story 4 i didn't love that one i felt like it was a movie that didn't really need to be made toy story 3 left a perfect ending to a trilogy there is some fun elements to toy story 4 but that's probably everybody just kind of wanting a little bit more of the characters to go back and watch that one and make that one such a big success and then spider-man far from home i mean 
you know how much I love all those movies. So it's a great movie. We saw it together. We did. That was see like it. one of the first like summer blockbusters we got to see because that was when we were still long distance. A great one to see together. And now, if you're wondering where does Avengers Endgame rank in 2019, it came out in April, so it misses the summer blockbuster date. But that one made 858 million dollars, so almost a billion dollars in the oh, United gosh. States alone. So that is insane. And then since we are here at the end of the 2010s, and it would be a long time before we could do the 20s, we'll look at 2020 and 2021. What do you think the highest grossing movie of 2020 summer was? Nothing really came out that summer. Yeah, everything kind of stopped around March. There's like one movie that came out in the summer, but only made $58 million. What do you think it was? I'm trying to remember what came out. Did Tenet come out that year? It is Tenet. And that was kind of weird because it came out on HBO Max and then very few theaters. And that's mainly because Christopher Nolan just wanted to see it shown in theaters. I felt like they should have held that movie a little bit. Probably would have done better. Probably would have done better because we didn't really get that feeling of it. I would have paid more attention if I was in the theater and couldn't have used my phone. I got lost in the first 10 minutes and checked out. It's already a difficult movie to understand and... When you're at home and watching a movie that's difficult to understand, it's very easy to tune out. I feel like I would have at least maybe enjoyed it a little bit more seeing it in a theater, but it's also one I haven't revisited since, so who knows. And then in 2021, what do you think the number one highest grossing movie was of the summer? Black Widow? That is correct, making $183 million at the box office. At number two was the first movie we saw back in theaters, and it was... F9. F9, making $173 million. And then at number three, just about closing out the summer coming out in August, was Free Guy, making $121 million. This is kind of where stuff started to come back, but it was mainly all the movies that got delayed from 2020 starting to release. So I feel like 2021 is a weird year because... Should have been 2020s. Basically, and nothing really felt like it had a rhyme or reason to the release schedule. It was just like, what can come out? What feels comfortable releasing on this weekend? What's going to keep getting delayed? What's going to come out on Disney Plus at the same time or HBO Max at the same time? So that's also a really weird year to look at. And I feel like looking at 2022 now, this is going to be the comeback year of where everything looks a little bit normal. So far, dominating the box office is Doctor Strange. Top Gun is right below it, but has also just had less of a theatrical run so far. So I feel like that may be the number one movie of the summer for the year. Yeah, then De- we've got Jurassic. Jurassic Park. coming out. Jurassic World. Jurassic, yeah. Park. <laughs> Jurassic. I don't know the names. Jurassic Thor. Thor coming out. But I feel out of all the summer movies, the one that will probably win is Top Gun. And that has the ability to be the number one highest grossing movie of the year. Great movie. I would see it again. I would too. And not just because Miles Teller takes a shirt off. Okay. That's what you liked in that movie. All right. If you enjoyed that, let us know. And maybe next week or the following week, we'll do the 2000s. Yeah, I'll see what works in my schedule. All right. We'll see. (laughs) You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-lunch pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. 
So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Hi, I'm Giancarlo Esposito, and I'm here to introduce you to my character, Gray Parrish, from my new series, Parrish. Yeah, I can drive. My character was a getaway driver. Yeah! I'm retired from a life. You know that. His business is failing. His house is going up for sale. He is the everyman. Tell me about this driver job. We got a lot of action in this show. We have moments of real danger. And we want to feel as if anything could happen. Gray is invited to drive for this man. He's invited to make money, and he quickly realizes this is not the right thing to do. I did what you told me to. And he's in a world over his head. Now, let's go! He will try to do what's right and seek justice. Parish, all new Sundays at 9 on AMC and stream on AMC+. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. And now it's time for a spoiler-free movie review talking about Jurassic World Dominion, which was one of my most anticipated movies of the summer. The trailer really banked in on the nostalgia factor, bringing back Jeff Goldblum, Sam Neill, Laura Dern. And that's why I was excited about it. So did it live up to those expectations? Let's talk about that. But before we get into this review, here's just a little bit of the Jurassic World Dominion trailer. If our world's going to survive, what matters is what we do now. I can use your expertise. You coming or what? A baby raptor? I made a promise we would bring her home. You made a promise to a dinosaur? Yeah. Why? So let's talk about what this movie is about. It is the finale of the saga of the Jurassic World movies. And you find yourself back with the old characters from the original movie. So Sam Neill and Laura Dern are back. You have Jeff Goldblum back. And it's kind of like the old school meets the new school with Chris Pratt. They are, again, trying to save the world. It takes place four years after the last Jurassic Park movie. And now that that island has been destroyed, all of the dinosaurs are kind of living among the humans, which I thought was cool and I actually wanted to see more of. You have the OG Jurassic Park crew trying to save the world from this evil corporation. And then you have Chris Pratt, as you heard in that trailer, trying to reunite the raptor named Blue with their child. So it's those two stories coming together and forming in this movie. And I got to say, that plot left a lot to be desired. It felt very disjointed at times where you have two completely different things going on at the same time. You don't really get invested in either one of them. Laura Dern and Sam Neill are cool to see back together again. But banking off that nostalgia factor, it didn't really cash in at any point, which we've seen movies do this fairly recently, just earlier this year, 
also from the 90s, Scream came out, and it was kind of like that team getting back together for one last mission. That's what you kind of find here. But it didn't really feel like much of a reason to get them back together, and the whole thing just kind of came together quickly. So when they first came on screen, I didn't really have that feeling of like, oh, they're back, like I have in other movies. Some people gave a little like one-two clap, like a failed big cheering moment. So that didn't feel completely like a big moment to me and there were a lot of nostalgic moments little easter eggs as an ode to the original movie but for a movie that's almost two and a half hours long it's not going to keep my interest by just telling me and reminding me how cool the original one was so it got us all back there to relive that kind of original movie but didn't really form enough to kind of update it and they're trying to kind of really forced this plot of the old school meets the new school. And I just didn't really find it working for a movie that's almost two and a half hours long. I found myself bored at moments. And I don't think this is a bad movie. Like, I don't leave the theater after seeing this movie thinking I, you know, got ripped off. It's still a fairly entertaining movie. But for with something that had so much action and so many things happening and cool visuals, and I'll get into more about the dinosaurs... You just don't really care and never really get invested in the story. And I think that's what the original Jurassic Park did so well, also what the Lost World did so well. And I think the problem I had with this movie is there was no imagination when it came to how they showed the action with the dinosaurs. The original movie, it was so much more of a treat when you actually had the dinosaurs on screen. And I know that's a little bit more because that movie came out in the 90s. The technology was still so new. They basically developed it to make that movie that they also couldn't afford to put the dinosaurs on the screen the whole time. But what that created was some tension because when the T-Rex is on screen, it's very important and he's not there all the time. So when he is on screen, you pay attention. And I think that's what I love about some you know, monster movies anything to that aspect is you can't give everything away the entire time because they're just going to become another character on screen. It's not really going to be a treat when they pop out because they're just there kind of thrown in in this movie. So there was no tension. There was no suspense. And that led to it just kind of feeling like a bunch of action thrown together and the dinosaurs just happened to be there. Although in this movie, they do look the best they have ever looked. The CGI has greatly advanced since the 90s. I think they definitely did some research on more of what dinosaurs really would have looked like. I like the, you know, the scaly look with the feathers, the talons, the the claws. I thought the dinosaur visuals were really great, but it wasn't enough to keep me interested the entire time. They get chased. It's kind of just running through the exact same motions of all the other ones, but the scenes didn't really carry any weight. I never really found myself caring, like, how are they going to get out of this situation? Things would just happen, and I'd be like, oh, that's fine. And it's not a terrible movie. I I think it's because I had such high expectations going into it that I don't think I enjoyed it as much as I thought I would. But I went with my wife, who hasn't seen all of the Jurassic Park or Jurassic World movies. She had very low expectations going into this, and she enjoyed it way more than she thought she was going to. Probably liked it more than I did. So if you go into it with low expectations, maybe you'll like it a little bit more. But still, yes, it's not a terrible movie. I don't think it deserves to get 
dragged as much as it has been, calling it the worst Jurassic World movie of all time. Don't get me wrong, it's still fun and entertaining to see dinosaurs on the screen attacking people, biting people's limbs off. The big action sequences are still fun. It just doesn't have that same charm that I was expecting from something that's supposed to be the conclusion to this saga. I just think because literally on the poster it says the epic conclusion to the saga. And I was like, all right, I'm ready to see this. I'm ready for them to kind of bring back all those cool moments, do something very innovative, do something that brings out all the imagination and makes these dinosaurs come to life. And I didn't get that. So there's no epicness to this that they are boasting. So maybe I overhyped this one for myself and is why I found myself a little bit bored and uninterested in it. I think what they made this movie for were the hardcore fans of Jurassic Park and Jurassic World who were going to love all the little Easter eggs and love seeing all those characters back together again. So I think if you're a diehard fan of the Jurassic Park series, you'll still find some enjoyment in this and probably like it more than I did. I wouldn't call myself the most hardcore fan. If I had to rank all my favorite Jurassic Park movies, I'd probably put The Lost World at number one, followed by the original at number two. But then at number three, I would have put Jurassic World, which I felt was a really good way to reboot the series. And I think I just find the plot in those so much more interesting because it's built around the actual park and havoc, you know, being wreaked at the park and real people having to deal with these dinosaurs, they just went to see them. Like that's a lot more entertaining. The visuals that come back to me from the originals is like in the Lost World, whenever the T-Rex is loose in California and he goes and is terrorizing this city. And I just have that visual of the T-Rex going down the street, going to a gas station and the 76 ball just rolling down the street. Like I like seeing dinosaurs in the real world and real life situations. And I think that's what made those movies so great is because it was a little bit more like what if dinosaurs existed in our world? We did see that a little bit here in Dominion and there was no scenes like that that really stood out to me in this movie. But I do have a glimmer of hope here in that there's some kid out there who this will be their favorite movie and they'll watch this and want to go watch all the original ones and become a fan of Jurassic Park and maybe 20, 30 years down the line be directing the new reincarnated reboot of this franchise again and i'll be back to watch that one i will say though i think the best part of the entire movie is jeff goldblum's performance he is the comic relief in this and he has some pretty good lines and is just so very jeff goldblum that without him i probably would have gave it an even lower rating but for me jurassic world dominion i give it three out of five raptor claws You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. <sighs> Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-lunch pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Hi, I'm Giancarlo Esposito, and I'm here to introduce you to my character, Gray Parrish, from my new series, Parrish. Yeah, I can drive. My character was a getaway driver. Yeah! 
I'm retired from life. You know that. His business is failing. His house is going up for sale. He is the everyman. Tell me about this driver job. We got a lot of action in this show. We have moments of real danger. And we want to feel as if anything could happen. Gray is invited to drive for this man. He's invited to make money, and he quickly realizes this is not the right thing to do. I did what you told me to. And he's in a world over his head. Now, let's go! He will try to do what's right and seek justice. Parish, all new Sundays at 9 on AMC and stream on AMC+. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. It is now time for the part of the podcast where I break down a movie trailer of a film coming to you very soon in theaters or streaming online in a segment called... It's time to head down to Movie Mike's Trailer Park. And today we are looking at the new DC movie called Black Adam. It stars Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He plays an anti-hero. And after getting a bigger glimpse at not only what The Rock as a superhero is going to look like in this, but also getting to know more about the character who I am not that familiar with. I have to say, I think this is the... DC movie that I'm anticipating the most. I'll get into all that here in a second, but here's some of the Black Adam trailer. I was a slave until I died. Then I was reborn a god. My son sacrificed his life to save me. Now I kneel before no one. And they're villains. Heroes don't kill people. Well, I do. So the first thing after watching this trailer, I thought to myself, man, if it would have had the treatment that The Rock wanted and it got an R rating, this movie would be amazing. But it has the PG-13 rating, so I still think it's going to be good. It does have a grittier feel. So what I learned now about Black Adam, the movie is about his character who is called Teth Adam. He is born into enslavement. Sometime it kind of takes place in the distant past and then he gets killed by the people who capture him, brought back to life by his son with this bolt of lightning and turns into Black Adam. His son actually dies from the ritual, but now Black Adam has these powers that are basically the qualities of Superman. He has the super strength. He can fly, but he doesn't have the same moral structure as you heard in that trailer is heroes don't kill people, but Black Adam does. So that's where I feel like this is going to have a little bit more of a grittier feel. The trailer has a little bit of humor mixed in with that. So to me, this movie almost feels like a grittier Superman movie, which I am totally into. And I think The Rock was made for this role. I'm surprised he hasn't been in a title superhero role like this before. And I think from being able to watch the entire journey of the movie on his Instagram has really led to me having such high interest in it because 
literally from when he got the role to his training for the role, getting super ripped up for it, all the behind the scenes photos, it makes me a little bit more invested in just seeing him and seeing all the hard work he puts into this because even though he's in so many movies and it feels like we always see The Rock in something, you forget how hard that guy works. And when I see him in this suit, it's insane looking of how bulky and strong he is and how much of a god he looks like. And then mix that with the black suit that's super skin tight. It basically looks like it's painted on him. And I'm curious to see how his acting abilities change a little bit in a superhero role. If he's a little bit more serious, how he takes on a grittier role. If he's going to essentially be the rock like he is in every other movie. Or he's going to show us something different. By this trailer, I don't get a big glimpse of his acting capabilities in this and how he's going to play the character. It's a little bit ominous, doesn't give a whole lot about the story, but it does build interest in the action and it does build interest in the character. So I am excited about that. This movie, Black Adam, comes out October 21st and is the DC movie that I'm most excited about seeing. Up on the DC slate, they also have coming out Shazam! Fury of the Gods later this year. Further down the line, we're going to get a Batgirl movie, the new Aquaman, The Flash, and then Blue Beetle in 2023. And before this, I think the DC movie I was most excited about that ended up delivering was Joker in 2019, which I felt existed in an entirely different universe. That was such a darker and grittier world that I don't think Black Adam will go there. I think it'll kind of stay in the world appealing to most people who want to go see a superhero movie and not the depressing movie that Joker was. The other exciting thing I do want to mention is the Joker sequel has been confirmed. Todd Phillips posted a picture of the front of the script. He posted a picture of Joaquin Phoenix reading the script. No other details about it except that it's called Joker Folie Adou, I think is how you say it. I think it's French, and that translates to an identical or similar mental disorder affecting two or more individuals. So it sounds like it's Joaquin Phoenix's character, Arthur Fleck, dealing with multiple personalities here, dealing with him as the Joker and also dealing with him as Arthur, and maybe we see a big clash between those two people which sounds like a recipe for a great movie. There's been rumors that Harley Quinn will make an appearance in this movie. Probably not the Margot Robbie Harley Quinn. So I'm curious to see how they follow up Joker, which really wasn't going to get a sequel. It was supposed to be a standalone film, but I think because it was so successful and being the highest grossing R-rated movie of all time, it's really hard to leave that money on the table and... If Joaquin Phoenix and Todd Phillips, the director, both believe there is more story to be told, which I really want to believe that is the reason they decided to do another movie and not just take away from the masterpiece that I believe that Joker was. I try not to use that title very often. There are maybe two or three films in the last 10 years that I would consider masterpieces. Joker would be one of them. So that's some cool stuff coming up soon from DC. And that was this week's edition of Movie Minds Trailer Park. And that's going to do it for another week here on the podcast. But before I hop out of here every single week, I got to give my listener shout out. And on this episode, I'm going over to my Twitter. Tammy C tweeted, 
listened to your latest podcast yesterday, and the only movie I haven't seen was Uncut Gems because I wasn't sure about Serious Adam Sandler. I watched it. I loved it. Thanks for putting me onto this. Love the podcast. Keep up the good work. Appreciate that, Tammy C. Thanks for listening to last week's Adam Sandler episode. If you missed that one, just go one back in the feed and see what movies I ranked as my top five best and worst Adam Sandler movies, in my opinion. Hope you have a great rest of your week. And until next time, go out and watch good movies. I'll talk to you later. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss In the Land of Saints and Sinners. Having left his dark past behind, retired hitman Finbar Murphy, played by Neeson, leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors. In the land of saints and sinners, from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. Watch it now on digital. Rated R. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.